Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and still with me uh, today is Sarah from It Came From The Sea. What up? I haven't passed out yet. We're doing okay. Yeah, I, we are forcing ourselves to do what uh, Nick and I did through our Khmer Rouge series and record this back-to-back, though I have to say this is much more enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as as much as I like to study uh, genocides for my you know uh, future grad school and you know for my show, uh, forcing other people to be sad about them is kind of hard. Uh, it is much easier to talk about this, which is part two of the Monty Melconian series. That was not a good transition. No, that was fantastic. You're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, if you wanted to start at part two, I'm not here to stop you. It's your choice, but go back and listen to part one. So it makes yes. sense. A weird choice. It's a very weird choice. Well, that actually happened once. I, I forget what series. I think it was like fucking Iran, Iraq or Afghan, Soviet, which is like, they're like seven parts long. And I started listening at part three and I have questions like, I assure you I've already answered them. <laughs> Um, bold move yeah I mean I respect it I won't help you but I respect it um, yeah so when we left you last week our little revolutionary who could finally got his first mission from the secret army quest line of this incredibly bad RPG metaphor that I'm using um, this is why I script I did not script that and it's terrible uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, he was ordered, uh, Monty Melconian was ordered by uh, Tagushian to turn in his passport, to grab a new fake one, which I assume mu- must have been much easier. Um, yeah. I don't know like about passport technology or whatever, but these guys go through so many fake passports. I don't like. Well, I know it. It depends on the country of origin for the passport too, because some passports have more like security features embedded in them. I'm going to assume uh, that. Um, his Lebanese passport must have been on uh, like a pay- a piece of like loose paper because Takushian seems like kind of a dumbass to be able to make false passports. Though, actually, I think he probably got it from the PLO. If I'm gonna be completely honest, yeah, right. Anyway, uh, Mont- he gets by with a little help from his friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, like I said, trickle down revolution. Um, Monty got a passport and traveled to Athens, Greece. Uh, and he was given uh, the very detailed orders to simply gun down the first Tur- Turkish target he could find. What? Yep. Yep. Okay. Okay. Not great. Not great. Uh, uh, detailed orders, I'll say. Um, now, Monty flew there and found out that it was kind of hard to just find a Tur- <laughs> Turkish diplomat yeah. wandering around. Uh, so he spent a week pacing around in front of the embassy. Um and uh, never saw any targets come up. So uh, he actually traveled back to meet with Takushi and be like, yo, I can't find anything. Like, you need, you need to give me more. Uh, like, give me more direction on this shit. Uh, so Takushi told him just to throw a grenade at, at the Turkish air, airline office and call it a day. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. They're half-assing a terrorism. Now, what's funny is that, like, Monty refused. He thought that would be sloppy, but also because, you know, you can't telegraph who a grenade's going to kill or hurt. Um, and he wasn't super worried about civilians, uh, but he did believe in, like, actually killing people who mattered, not, like, the guys who work at the right. office at the airline. Um, so he instead grabbed a, a handgun and waited outside the Turkish embassy until he saw he thought, uh, until he thought he saw someone important pull up in a car. Now, he assumed it was important because it had diplomatic plates and decided that was good enough. 
Um, now, I also assume that Turkish embassy security was pretty lax because yeah. <laughs> he was just waiting outside <laughs> for hours. Right? And he'd been like, this super sus looking dude's been like just scoping out the embassy for weeks at this point. Like if anybody, yeah, like if anybody could point out like a, an Armenian terrorist, it should be the Turkish embassy. <laughs> You'd think. Because this has been happening all over Europe. Like shit like this has been happening. Um but he walked up to the car with a pistol and began to open fire. He hit the driver and passenger and then opened fire into the back seats. Now, before he could figure out that uh, if he killed or even wounded his targets, a group of people, including one of the wounded men from inside the car, started chasing him, causing him to flee from the scene through the streets in broad daylight. Yeah. What did you expect to happen? That's like the most Greek thing ever is that like there was a crime on your block. So everybody gets out and starts chasing them. Hey, we're going to go beat this guy up. Like if anybody should should know how Greeks are going to react, it should be an Armenian. We get confused for one another all the time. <laughs> uh, now, Monty managed to escape and discover the next day uh, that the people he had shot, uh, what one of the people he shot was something that was considered a legitimate target. He was an administrative attache to the Turkish government, and it was insisted that he was a member of Turkish intelligence, known as MIT. Uh, he was killed immediately. Uh, unfortunately for the, the rest of the people in the car, uh, they were not. Uh, they included the man's family, mm. all of whom were, wound- were wounded, mm. and his 14-year-old daughter later died of his wounds. Uh, and the person who chased him down was uh, actually the man's wounded son, who's, I think, 16. Um, now, Monty explained this away in various ways. He claimed he didn't want to leave witnesses, for one, which is dumb, because... It was the middle of the day. Yeah, look at... In the middle of a street. Look at the rest of the hit. Um, yeah, what? And uh, he also said that he what happened happened... Uh, because the windows in the car were tinted. So it was their fault for having tinted windows, and if they didn't have tinted windows, he would have been able to tell if there were children in the back seat. Did so, you see the way that car was dressed? <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, these these were all uh, from the cuff uh, that Monty kind of explained to Markar why he defended what he did. But a few years later, he acknowledged what he did was an indefensible crime. Um, he, he did say the attache was a legitimate target, but... Uh, the the targeting of and and shooting of civilians is unforgivable. Um, so uh, he matured. Uh, though it's not like he turned himself into the police or anything. Yeah. Though admittedly, turning himself into the Turkish police would have been a death sentence for Monty. Bad idea. Yeah, I don't blame him for that. Yeah. Um, Monty returned to Lebanon and continued training in Palestinian camps. By this point, the camps had swelled to numerous uh, to. Thousands as Syrians and Armenians fled Hafez al Assad's brutal crackdowns in next door Syria. Uh, there's there's a huge population, or at least there was a huge population of Armenians in Syria, mostly survivors of the genocide who were marched there to their death. Um, and they were also joined by tons of PKK members who Monty became quick friends with, finally letting go of his hatred for Kurds. Um, and like he actually uh, was pretty enamored by their ideology at the time. And he like daydreamed about returning to Turkey with them, uh, which he never did. Um, he was uh, sent on another operation into Europe, this time to Geneva, Switzerland, where Monty and another secret army member, Alec Ohanian, uh, not the guy who helped <laughs> make Reddit, <laughs> same last name. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that would make Reddit way cooler if like the this, <laughs> the the founder was an Armenian revolutionary. Uh, instead, he's just a shitty billionaire. Um, they, they, their job was to assemble bombs and send them to two places in Milan, which exploded and nobody was hurt. A third bomb went off uh, while Alec was building it, blowing off his hand and most of his face. Oh. Um, now, this happened when Monty was away, uh, and uh, Alec survived but was arrested, you know, for the bomb. Um, yeah. Now, months before, Alec and Monty had made a pact that if one of them was arrested, the other would have to bust them out of jail, or at least do their best to do so. So, while it's not 100% sure that this was Monty, you can assume that Monty had something to do with it. A spat of bombing attacks uh, began against Swiss targets in Lebanon, uh, as well as in Europe. At least 18 more bombs went off across the continent, most likely for Monty and the secret army. 
Um, well, we can't pinpoint this exactly on Monty. It was almost certainly the secret army. Uh, they targeted Swiss embassies and businesses, and 20 people were wounded, but somehow none were killed. Um, that's, that's my favorite kind of terrorism. Yeah. Uh, Alec was not charged for building a bomb that blew off his face and was kind of like exiled from Switzerland. They're like, just get the fuck out of here and stop bobbing us. That seems very fair. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Probably not going to be building that many more bombs if he's missing a hand. And if, yeah, he's at this point, he's blinded as well. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, during this time, Takushin had turned into an authoritarian as well as an alcoholic, leading to a falling <laughs> out between him and Monty. Monty was never much of a drinker and kind of hated people like that. Uh, and uh, the two were pretty much ready to kill one another. And what stopped it was Israel invading Lebanon. Uh, so soon, Monty was running alongside his comrades in the palace, various Palestinian groups and uh, fighting the Israeli invasion. Uh, now, Monty was actually very good at math. And, like He almost majored in math in college, and he managed to use this skill in calling in rocket and artillery strikes at Israeli soldiers. <laughs> at, oh, no. At one point, he destroyed two tanks. So... Monty, oh, damn. Monty, right. Monty killed like a dozen fucking people. So anytime point. you're in a math class and you're like, man, when am I ever going to fucking use this? Yeah, you, you can, never know. You could do a revolution. <laughs> um, now, after around 10 days of fighting, Israel pulled back. This taught Monty a lesson he wouldn't soon forget. A determined defender could ward off attacks from a vastly superior enemy and escape alive. It didn't necessarily have to be a suicide attack. Hmm. Once the war was over, Monty was put in charge of training and, and planning a commando mission, but not going on it himself, something he would actually uh, say that he regretted. Uh, that's because the mission that he helped train and plan was the, uh, the t- Turkish consulate attack in Paris. Um, the ex- so with the exception of a small exchange of gunfire, which occurred uh, at the very beginning of the confrontation with like a Turkish guard, uh, pulled a weapon on on the uh, the the raiders or the terrorists, whatever. Um, he was shot and and, and killed. Um, and the guard also shot and wounded one of the attackers as well. The takeover went off without a hitch, and there's pretty oh yeah, it was pretty uneventful. Though in the crossfire, one of the the Turkish consulate employees was wounded, and the Armenians actually rendered first aid and were very nice oh. to him to the point that like he kind of said that they were like. Like I understand what they're doing, and it's fine. I don't blame them afterwards. Um, the most successful terrorism. Yeah. After 15 hours, they surrendered to French authorities and were quickly sent off to prison, you know, for all the terrorism. Yeah. Now, remember, they, they did a terrorist attack on an embassy, which ended in a man dying. They were sentenced to seven years in prison. <laughs> Worth it. Because the, yeah. the 1980s is a much different time. None of these people what? ever leave fucking jail alive at the, if this happens now. No. What, <laughs> what was the goal? What, what was the end game of taking everything? Because they did it, right? Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah. It, it was at, they, at this point, it's, um, it's a Turkish consulate, so they're attacking what they consider a valid target um, sure. in drumming up support for what this is, the, the French government forcing... Turkey to uh, admit that they committed the genocide. Oh, okay. And oh, that's such a like. It's it's weird. Well, it's just such a like. It shouldn't be that hard. Obviously, it is because it still hasn't happened. But like, right. <laughs> just just say you did the thing that we all know that you did. That's all anybody wants at this point. And France becomes a target time and time again because the Armenian diaspora is rather large there. Like, there's a reason why my mm-hmm. grandpa fled there to join the Legion. Um, be, and they're considered quite politically powerful. So, like, courting their opinion could force the French government to do something. In, in, right. in my opinion, doing violence in France probably isn't the way to win French people to your side. Um, yeah. But I'm not a revolutionary. I'm a podcaster. So what do <laughs> I know? I mean, that kind of thing happened in France all the time just because of their old colonial ties, too, to, like, North Africa. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, the Al- Algerians set so many bombs <laughs> off in the metropole. Oh, yeah. And you know what? I'm fine with that. Eh? <laughs> maybe don't colonialize. Maybe don't colonialize Africa. Um, now, uh, Monty considered this attack the Secret Army's peak and a huge victory, uh, which he regretted not being a part of. Though he did plan and train for it. Um, during the next mission, he was sent to France again to shoot a Turkish diplomat. But Takushian, now keenly aware how much Monty hated him, issued him a very underpowered handgun. Now, what? 
<laughs> it was like a twenty. It was like a twenty-two. I think. What? Yeah. Was he supposed to like get up within five feet and shoot him through the eyeball? Well, like, I mean, twenty twos were used actually pretty effectively by like those Israeli death squads we talked about uh, in the last episode. Mm. Yeah, but they were trained for years as death squads. Yeah, those they were seasoned Mossad and special forces uh, guys. Also, yeah. uh, they knew the reason why they they used a twenty two. They used a specially changed twenty two cartridge with actually less powder in it because it made less noise. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And they would, but they I mean, you all, can kill somebody with a twenty two. You just have to be very specific about where you hit them. Yeah, their plan was to literally point blank them, and Monty's was not because he's yeah. ambushing people. Um, and also since Mani's little shooting spray in Athens, along with all the other terror attacks against Turkish targets, the Turkish yeah. cars all had armored glass now. So like he was given a gun that would literally never work. Um, uh, but were they still tinted? Uh, I assume so. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah probably. So Monty uh, also like Takushian did this. Monty knew about it and he was a dumbass and tried anyway. <laughs> um, now, nevertheless, Nevertheless, he persisted. <laughs> I, I hate and love that so much. Um, <laughs> God damn it. Um, so he attempted to ambush a Turkish diplomat in an armored car with a twenty-two pistol, and it, end, and it ended with him getting shot in the arm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he obviously was not able to wound his target. This left his target being able to see his face clear as day and a new bullet hole in his arm. Um, now, in order to escape France, he, uh, he had to travel on another forged passport, um, a forged passport furnished to him by Takushian. So when he tried to use it, he ended up getting oh. caught. Oh, what, a, what a dick move. Yeah. And then to make matters worse, when he was brought into jail, they, uh, they strip searched him and uh, they found a fresh gunshot wound in his arm. <laughs> uh, the same- so he just fell down <laughs> some stairs. Yeah, the same place that a Turkish guard said that he had shot an attacker and escaped. <laughs> it's just a coincidence. So now Monty is kind of caught red-handed. And Monty knew he was fucked. And he knew that, like, oh, fuck, they're going to put two and two together. They're going to bring this guard in to, like, finger me uh, as the, the, the guy who shot at him. I need, right. to, I need to change how I look fast. <laughs> uh, how did he shave his beard? So <laughs> I'm glad that you caught on to that part. <laughs> uh, the, the apparently jails in, in France back then like when they gave you food they would still give you like a, a metal knife but it was dull oh so he sharpened the knife on the wall of his jail cell and shaved with it ah now uh. this worked uh, the guy could not ID Monty but it's also because at that point he probably looked like a human being with fucking mange <laughs> yeah he just like cut just his face all wounds up. Everywhere. Yeah, he cut his face all up and left like a horrible patchy mess. Um, Are there pictures? No, there's not. Uh, I wish. A travesty. Okay. Um. So oh, fuck that though. And then after another string of bombing against French targets, this time the French courts, French courts officially exiled him from France and did not give him a jail sentence. Just for, again, I love the like traveling on a forged passport at the minimum. Just get the fuck out. It's just, weird how common of a sentence that was for people doing terrorism in the 70s and 80s. Just get the fuck out of not, here. It's not the same, but like I knew people in the military that were just so much of a fucking handful that even though they could have like they could have gone to court martial, they could have gone to like NJP, instead they were just told like if look, it will admin sep you. Yeah. Just just fucking leave. <laughs> just leave. Um now, here's another thing. Remember, he is on a forged passport. Right, so they know mm-hmm. that his real name isn't on the passport, but he managed to hide his real name from the French and gave them a different fake name, one that they All actually right. bought. Now, this is a problem because at, when he was deported to Lebanon, oh, Takushian oh. bragged to the Lebanese authorities and press that Monty Melconian had escaped France and returned, making mm. his real name public and quickly landing him on just about every international Jesus. terror watch list you can imagine. Not Do to, you think that was on purpose or just because he's a fucking idiot? I think it was on purpose because mm. what happens after this is like nobody really cares about these guys except the Turks. And that puts right. Monty Melkonian squarely within the crosshairs oh. of the Turkish intelligence services. Yeah. Who were 
probably rightly rumored to have their own counter-terror death squad that would act the same way as the secret army, carrying oh, out bombing right. and assassinations against people like them. Almost certainly. So he probably did this on purpose. He could have just killed them, you know? Would have been would have been easier than just setting him up to fail all the time. Yeah, especially because it doesn't end up working. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, as uh, and Monty was suspicious of the same thing. Once again, leading to them to be on the verge of killing each other again. Yeah. Uh, and then once again, Israel invaded Lebanon. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird how that happens so often. Classic. The classic move. Yeah. Thankfully, that would never happen again. Uh, or continues to happen occasionally. Um, now, this time, it was a much bigger Israeli force, um, and this is the one that lead the occupying forces behind for quite mm-hmm. some time. Um, this, again, forced um, Monty and his comrades to go off and fight, though they were quickly overpowered, uh, and they, had, they decided that the plan would be to suck the Israelis into fighting them into Lebanon, uh, a very large city, uh, and a it's horrible to uh, to defend or or to, sorry to attack with a determined defender. So they actually had to march twenty seven hours back to the city. Oh fuck! Under constant Israeli airstrikes and and uh, artillery and stuff like that. Um, now after this, the Israelis laid siege to a city, cutting up water, electricity, and food, commonly known as a war crime. Before launching mm-hmm. a saturation bombing campaign against the people within, commonly known as a war crime. N- no. <laughs> I'm shocked. Shocked, I say. Now, Monty and, the, and the, the small secret army fought alongside the PLO and the workers' lead formations once Israeli soldiers pushed into the city. While this was happening, Takushian executed a new recruit into the secret army, claimed it was him, and then ran from the city, faking his own death. What? <laughs> oh, my God. It's just got fucked this up out of here. Monty fought in the city until August, when a deal was cut for the fighters, PLO, and others were allowed to retreat into Syria. After their withdrawals, Israel and their allies, the Phalangists, moved into the city and uh, where these formations were defending and massacred over a thousand innocent civilians. An Israeli investigation into this massacre at Sabra and Shatila found that the Israeli defense minister and future prime minister, Ariel Sharon, were completely and totally responsible for them. That has nothing to do with the story. We investigated ourselves and found ourselves innocent. What's actually incredible is they investigated themselves and found themselves at guilt and then just did nothing about it. (laughs) Which is even worse. It's also an option. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, also, uh, if you remember our Lord of War episode, which I continually bring up, this is who uh, Nicolas Cage gave weapons to. (laughs) (laughs) Now. uh, Cool. Yeah. Neat. Uh, Not great. As Monty tried to figure out what to do next, he drifted further and further away from the secret army. Uh, because remember, the secret army kind of disintegrated uh, as, as a cohesive force. And uh, Taku- again, you know, Takushi and faked his own death. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, the secret army continued, but it was now led by more of like a mafia with Takushi as a godfather. Um, <laughs> most of the, the revolutionary veterans had been around some time, had either bailed, been killed in the fighting, or joined one of the other groups. And they were replaced by younger kids who, instead of um, you know, being ordered to armed propaganda, they were like robbing people at gunpoint. Hmm. Which is like the natural evolution of these groups as they disintegrate. This happens all the time. Uh, like right. It happened to the, like, the real IRA. It happened to, like, uh, in, it happened to various groups in Colombia. They all pretty much eventually lose their footing and then devolved into little more than a gang. Um, it's weird how that happens. I don't really understand it. I think it's like once uh, you, uh, in a situation like this, I think it's Takushkin was always kind of an idiot that didn't know what he was doing. Um, right. I think in other groups, that's just what happens when you know they get decapitated so many times and lose leadership that other dumber like, people fill the hole. Yeah, and you're like you lose your leadership and then you don't have your focus and you're still trying to like keep shit together. So really like it's kind of focusing on survival, but you're focusing on survival of some artificial group. And correction, I said real IRA, I meant provisional IRA. There's a lot of them moving on. Uh, <laughs> now, um this is also at the same time, uh remember Mani is slowly moving away um from the concept of just Turks in general being legitimate targets. It's a slow. It, it's obviously slower than it should be, but he found like he was under the idea that like if say you attack the Turkish airlines 
And in doing that, you know, a Turkish government entity, you kill some civilians. It's regrettable, but it's okay. Um, obviously, I don't agree with that. I'm just speaking yeah. for Monty. But attacks to kill civilians for civilian sake, which I would argue is in fact attacking the airline, but, um, right. are wrong and you should not do them. Um, and at the same time, there was a bombing at a French airport, which killed uh, quite a few people, and a bombing in a Turkish market that uh, also killed quite a few people that um, were almost certainly the secret army Monty had nothing to do with and found they were fucking horrible and disgusting. Um, and during this time, Takushian began to lose his mind. Uh, he started to get very, very paranoid, throwing wild accusations against everyone from random secret army recruits to mm -hmm. Yasser Arafat and the PLO for being traitors and in control of like in this an entire vast conspiracy that went up to the highest levels of the PLO. He blamed on Monty, which okay. is very weird because, uh, I mean, there is some rumors that Yasser Arafat and Monty did meet. There's no way Yasser Arafat has any idea who the fuck Monty Melkonian is. Um, sure. They may sure, have he's got other passing. shit going on. Yeah, he has a lot of other shit going on. Yeah. Um, now, paranoia or not, Monty actually was plotting to kill him. Um, <laughs> though still without much help and certainly without the help of the fucking PLO. Uh, and instead of the vast network, Monty used old connections and moved through Europe, working with agents of the PKK, as well as the Basque separatist movement, the ETA. Uh, despite being exiled from France, that's exactly where he ended up under a fake American passport under the name of Jack Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, was Jose Cuervo taken? Um, it, now, um, it didn't take long for the French intelligence services to find him again. Um, oh. This was made much easier by the fact that like the French were keeping an eye on him and they knew that his then girlfriend and future wife, Seta, who was living in France, uh, like they're keeping an eye on her and, and, and phone tapping her shit. Um, so when he called her <laughs> like, hey, I'm in France, like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> um, yeah, so they, they quickly tracked him down, arrested him. And they searched where he was staying, uh, finding the address of several Turkish diplomats as well as weapons and explosives. Mm -hmm. um, though it, his brother makes the argument um, that Monty was never one for building bombs, despite the fact he had done that. Uh, he was like, whenever he did things like that, he generally shot people. Um, but yeah, he was probably plotting gun attacks, not bomb attacks, but he did have traces of explosives. Uh, he like he wasn't like he didn't have like a Timothy McVeigh stockpile of fertilizer or anything mm. like that. Uh, now Monty and his fellow revolutionaries were tossed right back into the same prison that he had just been released from. <laughs> now, if it, Did he have to shave his beard with a like a dull knife again? No, uh, he kind of figured he was screwed this time. Though he was hoping that he would get, get a slap on the wrist like last time. Um, uh, but unfortunately, time had conspired against him. While he was in prison, a series of bombs went off in Paris. Um, now, this is not the work uh, of, of the secret army uh, because mostly Takushian wanted money dead and he definitely isn't going to go set off bombs to defend him. But it sounded like it could have been, which is all right. it needed. Like uh, the French authorities were like, look, this is what they fucking do. Um, it is what they have done in the past. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and... Yeah. <laughs> A newspaper demanded justice for, quote, Middle Eastern terrorists. Uh, <laughs> Fun fact. We're not Middle Eastern. <laughs> not the Middle East. Yeah. I, I get how you could be confused by the beards and also your racism. But like, yeah, come on. also not checking at all. Yeah. We're still uh, now at this point. Mahdi had no valid passport on, for any nation on anyway. Earth. Yeah, because remember he turned his real passport in to 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 Kushian back in Lebanon when he joined the secret army. At that point, most of Lebanon, uh, most of Beirut, had been bombed by Israeli jets, destroying his passport. Uh, this meant that no matter what his sentence was, no nation would take him when the French released him. Um, and the U.S. refused to issue him a new passport due to the copious amounts of arrest yeah. warrants out for him. <laughs> All the terrorism, you know. Yeah. 
Thankfully for Monty, at least, the French courts couldn't prove a whole lot since this was still the 1980s. Terms uh, for terrorists were pretty light. Like the most they got was like the an illegal handgun, which he proved, which like he claimed he needed for self defense, which kind of true, but yeah. mostly because of the terrorism. Call me, call me. Somehow they could not prove that Monty was planning to kill anyone, despite the fact he had a step by step plan of how to kill people. Yeah, and a bunch of addresses <laughs> for people he'd like to kill. Yes. And they had to throw out the explosive charge. Uh, instead, uh, he was found guilty of having a legal handgun, having a forged passport, and a legal entry, and sentenced to four years in prison. Uh, in the United States, you would get more time right now for having a, uh, uh, just an illegal handgun. Um, oh, yeah. Now, while in prison, Monty was a bit of an agitator, routinely sp- mm-hmm. uh, sparking hunger strikes and organizing his fellow prisoners into nonviolently resisting the guards. <laughs> Which is what? Pre- which is pretty rad, yeah. Like he pre- yeah. he pretty much unionized the inmates. Yeah, dope. Like they fought over um like a better food, uh, better food, uh, better sleep arrangements and things like that. Um, and then when his partner Seta visited him in prison, it caused a national uproar in France. Uh, to the point that Jean Marie Le Pen, uh, the leader of the National oh. Front, the uh, oh. uh, the French Nazis, I. I believe yeah, I believe the French Nazi father of the the former French Nazi presidential campaign. Yeah, I believe it. she's still in charge. They just changed the name. They're not the National Front anymore. I forget what they call themselves now. They're Nazis. Fuck them. Nazis rebranded. Yeah, uh, they he penned a front page article condemning how soft Francois Mitterrand's government had become uh, because Le Pen is so racist. They hate other white people. Um, <laughs> kind of funny. Uh, they, just, now, they were just mad that like his wife got to see him at all. Yeah, and despite the fact that while Monty was planning terrorist attacks, he was plotting to kill people that Jean-Marie Le Pen almost certainly hated as well, which is Turks. Well, just beyond that, like he's in there for four years. Like anybody who's in prison for four years is allowed to have visitors, right? Apparently not if you do certain crimes. Uh, I don't know. Mm. I don't. I don't know why it caused such an uproar because. The, I think it's mostly because Monty was being blamed for the bomb attacks that right. he had nothing. He was in prison. He had nothing to do with them. That killed a lot of French people. Um, and like, oh, he was clearly in on it, despite the fact he's in prison. Yeah. Now, uh, while he was in prison, he heard that Takushin had been assassinated. This time for real, while staying in Athens. <laughs> um. Now, to this day, nobody is entirely sure who did it, because he is one of those people that pissed off so many different groups, it could have been literally anybody. Uh, He was, like, walking out of his house in Athens and just got shot a whole bunch of times. It could have been the fucking KGB again, for all I know. Now, unfortunately for Monty and for Armenia, it it was the late 1980s. (laughs) Uh, And the signs of the Soviet Union was falling apart could no longer be ignored. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, this is the part where we have to talk about the region of Karabakh, otherwise known as Artsakh, sometimes known as Nagorno-Karabakh, uh, and legally known as the Mountainous Karabakh, depending on what time period we're talking about. <sighs> so, Mountainous Karabakh sounds like a wrestling person, like a wrestling character. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a jobber. He, he just like keeps getting in the middle ground. Um, Fantastic. And I have to point out, I can't do a full history of Armenia or Artsakh here, so I will make it short and to the point, the best I can, and as very biased as I possibly can. <laughs> You're allowed. I mean, I, I mean, you tuned in knowing what I was getting into. Uh, now, Artsakh had been ethnically Armenian since the time of Alexander the Great, when the concept of Armenian culture and ethnicity was a thing. It had controlled itself and come under the control of Armenia at various points uh, since the beginning of written history. Then, after the Armenian Genocide and World War I, the Armenian and Turkish War began as Armenians fought for their survival, uh, and the First Republic of Armenia was formed. Then the Soviets came in, cut a deal with the Turks, and threatened a two-front war against the Armenians, forcing their absorption of the Soviet Union or face a two-fronted genocide. Weird how that continues to happen Mm. between the Soviet Union and fascists. Now, under Soviet control, mountainous Karabakh, as it was now called, uh, and other states became subject to what is known as Sovietization. This uprooted uh, hundreds of years of history, culture, and beliefs without any input from locals. 
Uh, this included things like the forced abduction of, of the Cyrillic alphabet and the Russian language, but also the redrawing of borders. There's also a very small period where the Armenian church was outlawed, but that quickly came back when they realized that Armenians would start shooting at them. Um, originally, Artsakh was meant to fall under the control of the Armenian Soviet Socialist Republic, which had historically, more than anyone else, controlled and administered the region in some form or another. But right. that is when the Minister of Nationalities, a fun... Oh. You, you, you want to bet who? Cool. You, you want to take a wild guess at who that, that minister was? No, I got nothing, but it's Joseph not be good. Stalin! Ah, well, that. Changed his predecessor's plan. So Joseph Stalin ended up becoming the Minister of Nationalities after somebody else came up with a previous plan to give to Armenia. Stalin came in and changed his plan, instead giving it, giving Artsakh to the, uh, Aze, uh, the Azeri Soviet Socialist Republic to administer despite the fact that Artsakh was 94% Armenian. Why? Nobody's entirely sure, and there's a lot of arguments why this happened. Um, so I can only take guesses, slightly educated yeah. guesses. Now, what seems likely is this is another extended form of Sovietization. When the, when the, a key part of Sovietization is destroying the Caucasus Republic's drive for nationalism and togetherness. In order to do this, separating historical Artsakh from other Armenia is a very good way to split them in half. Right. Uh, and it also allowed them to flex on these, quite honestly, ancient cultures, the sovereignty and power of the Soviet Union and, the, and their new governance. Like, don't fuck with us. Look what we just did. Right. Yeah, I mean, if they just did it to be like purely antagonistic, it makes that's the only thing that would make sense. I take it as a divide and conquer principle. Yeah. Um, there's probably more to it. Uh, that is the general belief through our uh, Armenian uh, history. Because no, St- uh, Stalin didn't exactly leave a lot of notes. <laughs> yeah, that's also Stalin too. So like, you don't have to make sense, right? Like sometimes the cruelty is the point. Um, yeah. Now, most people like to frame the Soviet Union during its peak as problematic, but at least peaceful. Some of these places that have been at war for centuries, and that was not the case. It rolled my eyes so hard that it hurt. I had to say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, all-out war was avoided during this time, uh, mostly because the, the threat of the Red Army coming through and steamrolling them. But it was common for the Azeris to displace Armenians within Artsakh in an effort to change the overall demographics in the area. This is generally considered an, an era of ethnic cleansing. As the Soviet Union began to weaken, ethnic tensions rose throughout the Soviet Union, but in particular this region. Artsakh petitioned to be allowed to join the Armenian Soviet Socialist Republic. While the Azeri Soviet Socialist Republic protested, both of them invoking different parts of the Soviet Constitution to do so. I mean, the Constitution is pretty wrong in the first place. Um, yeah. This eventually erupted into violence and pogroms. In the Azeri town of Sumgayat in 1988, gangs of Azeri civilians with homemade weapons stalked the city, found its Armenian population, and began to ruthlessly murder them in their homes and in the street in an orgy of violence that went on for a week. Soviet police and military units stationed only a mile nearby did nothing to stop it. When they did finally move in several days later, the Soviet authorities were surprised to see themselves under attack as well. The massacre was finally stopped when Soviet tanks and troops were flooded into the city. Uh, and not to stop the violence per se. They were more worried about like Azeri nationalism. Um, right. And they, all, they were forced to evacuate any surviving Armenians out of the city. Uh, in the end... The Soviet Union says around 32 people were killed, but the more realistic number is north of 300. This immediately became linked uh, to the Armenian genocide within the consciousness of the Armenian people. Once again, a Turkic nation was murdering Armenians on the street, and nobody was stopping them, including powers that said that they would stop them. Yeah. This right. is repeated again. The Soviet in Union in this region. Yes. Um, it's, it's always incredible to me. I think I've said this before on the show that actually the the the, the czar did more for the Armenian people than any Soviet leader. <laughs> yeah, and that's a low fucking bar. Um, now this is all repeated again in the 1990s in the Azeri capital of Baku, when tens of thousands of Armenians are forced from their homes and hundreds are killed in the street. Women were systematically raped and children were beaten against trees until they were dead. 
Like some Gaiet, Soviet police and soldiers did nothing to stop it. When the Soviets finally did enter the city, it wasn't to stop the violence, but rather to stop the Popular Front of Azerbaijan, a nationalist group from seizing power and, uh, and kicking off the Soviet leaders. While all of this was happening, Monty had been finally released from prison and managed to escape his parole once again to get back into the Middle East. <laughs> because it seems like at this point, parole and exile is more of a suggestion than a rule. Yeah. Now, in order to escape an American arrest warrant, his partner Seta had managed to make contact with Levon Terpetrosian. Now, Petrosian was an Armenian Soviet Socialist Republic politician and um, was actually the a, a non-communist leader of a Soviet Socialist Republic, uh, which was interesting. Uh, he'd also be uh, end up becoming incredibly and incredibly corrupt later on, uh, but. Um, he had become very anti-Soviet during their non-intervention in the anti-Armenian pogroms. He had also eventually become the president of the Republic of Armenia. Monty was uh, traveling under a fake passport again and had no hope of entering to the USSR. That was unless invite he was invited under his fake passport by a member of the Soviet government. So that's what Terpetrosian did. Oh, all right. I which I feel like has to be illegal in some way. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, I know it's fake. I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Fuck it, whatever. I mean, it's the early 90s in the Soviet Union. Nobody's checking on this shit. Yeah, the the main government has some other shit they gotta deal with. Yeah. With that, Monty finally stepped foot in the Armenian motherland for the first time. And it was immediately greeted by the KGB. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> now, right after that, this is... The KGB thing's interesting because they just kind of like were friendly with them and followed them around. I think they were mostly just curious about the Armenia, uh, the Armenian American terrorists that just came invited by the government. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot to like set off your alarm bells. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if the KGB didn't exist, the local cops definitely would have greeted them there too. Sure. Right after that, Tur Petrosian became head of the Armenian Supreme Soviet, which is the head of the local government. And began to make plans for Armenian independence. The Armenian Soviet Socialist Republic came the Repu- became the Republic of Armenia, while at the same time the Azeri Soviet Socialist Republic became the Republic of Azerbaijan. Originally, Monty was very pro-Soviet, but after watching them botch the response of the prog- pogroms and seeing the absolute corruption of Soviet power within Armenia, he decided the Soviets did not care about the safety and well-being of the Armenian people. And the and the only people who ever would would be the Armenians, which goes back on yeah yeah it go it goes it speaks to a um an Armenian traditional saying is we are our mountains, uh because nobody gives a fuck except Armenians yeah now um Monty like everybody else knew a war was brewing in Artsakh and at least over Artsakh and largely hoped that the Soviet Union would be able to stop it. But the USSR was dead and everything but name only, and he saw no peaceful revolu- uh, resolution as possible. Now, at this point, he began something of a, a self-education on military matters. Um, like His family sent him uh, old American uh, military manuals to read, like, you know, oh. tactics and stuff. And there has happened to be ton- like- tons of old Soviet ones laying around that he could read. Has he still been, like, contacting his, his like, super bland American parents? Oh yeah, he's been in contact with his brother mostly, um, not because of like a shame that his parents felt, but he was worried because his brother. I'm not. I, I'm not talking about his brother, so the story isn't about him. But um, okay. his brother is just as revolutionary as he is. Okay. Uh, he just doesn't see like he sees himself as less as a leader. Like he was fighting in Lebanon as well. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. So like his, but his brother isn't a uh, isn't uh, attaching himself to terror attacks so he's not finding himself on watch list so he can bounce back (laughs) back and forth as much as he wants uh and he ends up being something as like the pipeline into the regular world yeah uh so like his brother is acting as an intermediary for his family to connect with him uh so during this time he's you know educating himself about military matters uh because remember the the most military military training he had is like in uh, plo camps right um now, with that amount of education, he decided to, uh, he asked permission. So at this time, there's no like Armenian Ministry of Defense. So that it would eventually be made. Um, he, there's something like the effectively a volunteers department uh, mm-hmm. because they have no military. Right. Um, 
So he asked for permission to create his own volunteer detachment known as a Chokat uh, to serve in the defense of Artsakh. And his request was granted. Mostly because Armini didn't have much of a choice at the time. They're like, sure, fuck yeah, right? it. And that's when he started Fine. He started going by what he is now known as Commander Avo. Um, now, Commander was just as what he was called. He didn't give himself that title. But he called himself Avo. It doesn't mean anything uh, like bigger. He just thought it was a short name that would be very easily said over the radio. Um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. By now, war be- a war between Armenia and Azerbaijan had begun to simmer, and it was something of like a frozen conflict. There was they were shooting at each other, uh, but there was no offensives quite yet. Right, uh, and it was only really being held in check by the skeleton of the Soviet Union, but only barely. Monty was demanding to go to the front in Artsakh with his detachment, and the Armenian government was worried about setting him due to the <laughs> fact that the Soviet Union had not completely fallen apart yet. Right, and they had internal ministry troops uh, who were managing um, roadblocks and checkpoints. The last Monty doesn't seem like he's going to hold back. Well, he was worried. Now, uh, legitimately, the Armenian government was worried what the optics would look like if this guy was arrested by the Soviet internal ministry and had like countless uh, w- arrest warrants for terrorism. It would make their entire movement look bad. Yeah, it would delegitimize a lot of it. Yeah, so it would make their new budding republic look bad. And admittedly, like, the Azeris were already saying shit like this, that, like, Armenia's bringing in terrorists, which is fucking ironic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which, yeah, considering. Which we will talk about later. Um, so he was held back. And there, to me, there wasn't a lot of internal ministry soldiers out there. There's, like, the last vestiges of Soviet power in the region. Um, now, at this point... During, so during all of Soviet history, Artsakh was considered an autonomous region of Azerbaijan, though that was violated pretty routinely, especially with you know yeah. the ethnic cleansing. Um, but Azerbaijan rescinded the autonomous status of Artsakh, uh, so like it was like a, another like step in the direction of Armenians, but like oh fuck, another genocide's coming. Mm. Um, and then. Both soldiers deployed, uh, both sides, the Soviets and the Azeris, began to deploy soldiers in that direction. In the Azeri capital of Baku, politicians openly talked about expelling all Armenians from Artsakh. The Azeri Popular Front printed maps with all of Armenia wiped from the earth and replaced with something called Greater Azerbaijan, which historically is not a thing. Uh, yeah, I don't like that. And furthermore, Azerbaijan is the creation of the Soviet Union for the most part. <laughs> it's not a historical entity in any form. Jeez. Um, now, just as the tensions were building, the Soviet Union officially gave up on the Caucasus region. While the Union would technically survive until December of 91, in September, all internal ministry troops were withdrawn from the region, and the red flag of the Soviet Union came down for the last time over Stepanakert, the capital of Artsakh. Then, the local government of Artsakh formally seceded from Azerbaijan, arguing that since the Azeris could do the same thing to the Soviet Union, so could they to Azerbaijan. Which, fair. Yeah, yeah. Tur Petrosian, now the president of independent Armenia, knew that he was in no position to recognize the new mini-republic next door, because it would mean going to war against Azerbaijan. Mm. Though... Everyone, Azerbaijan included, knew that the new Armenian Ministry of Defense was supplying the new republic with everything that they had, which is largely true and still is. <laughs> yeah, well. One of, the, one of the things they were supplying them with was detachments of volunteers, like the one led by Commander Avo, who stepped on a helicopter to be transported to Artsakh. And that is where we'll pick up and conclude next week. Ooh. He did it. He finally found a war. He finally, he finally not only found a war, he found his way to do a war in Greater Armenia. Yeah. He's really grown up a lot. Yeah. Our, our boy has evolved. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're now two hours into hearing uh, uh, Monty's life story. How do you feel about him now? Better? A little bit better. Yeah, this it seems is- like, he, he's kind of figure, like he's kind of figuring himself out in a weird way. This episode is definitely one of growth. Um, like, yeah. you can see him being like the wild revolutionary at the like just chomping at the bit to go do violence in somebody's name, and then like him realizing 
by doing that violence, honestly, that like this is bad. Um, yeah. Uh, like even if at this point he hasn't realized like that it's not okay to target civilians, even if they're Turkish, right. he's at least realized that like he can't just go around wildly committing violence and hoping that it works. Right. Um, and it's also like in the next episode, it goes into a little bit more when he starts realizing that um, there's no difference between us. Uh, the difference is our mm. governments, mm. Um, which is kind of what, you know, most people I know, I can't say most Armenians because it's not true, but most yeah. people I know is the arguments that they have is like, obviously we're not racist. We hate the Turkish government for what they do. They're fascists and they're right. war crimes apologists. Um, and hating a government doesn't like, doesn't mean you have to hate the people. No, you they're, should they're hate your government. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, uh, that came up with a, and I, I'm not, not sure who it was, but there was one of the military leaders in the most recent war in Artsakh came on, like he did an interview where he, like he corrected somebody. He said that like, no, my, my, like my beef isn't with the Azeri people. It's with the government of Azerbaijan. Yeah. Don't, don't conflate these two things. Yeah. And it's honestly quite surprising. Cause like, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about next episode, but like the militaries in the area are quite fluid. Um, obviously the Artsakh defense army is a thing that exists. It did not exist in any real corporeal form in the nineties. It was like, you showed up in camouflage, Adidas track pants, and, <laughs> and an AK. Welcome to the resistance, bro. Um, yeah. Now it's obviously much different, and uh, you know now you know sitting in 2021, it's even more different. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's, very, it's it's I hate when uh, especially um, like members of the diaspora will conflate that this is like some kind of race war to the death, mm-hmm. um, and it's absolutely not. Um, no, it's. Sure, it's a fight for survival, but like at the same time, like uh, you know, Israel didn't invade Germany. <laughs> like, right. you know, I mean, like uh, it, I consider like it's exactly the same thing as it's a fight for survival. And mm-hmm. while uh, Azerbaijan and Turkey are are very nationalist, and I consider them a threat to Armenians, it's because of the government. Yeah. Hundred percent. Like people are going to be people, and while some have their own individual politics that are problematic, right? The problem is the the problem is the body politic led by a government who is attempting to use war to change things at home. Like um, uh, before this war started, uh, the there was protests against the leader of Azerbaijan, Aliyev or whatever his last name is, uh, because corrupt and unpopular and like there was problem there's like a high unemployment and then suddenly a war happened right weird how that continues to occur Convenient. yeah um and uh you know he's using that as a leverage it's right. uh, you know he's and i mean and we'll talk about it next episode there, there's there's absolutely valid historical grievances that azarius can have against armenians armenians committed war crimes in this war and we will talk about them i'm not gonna fucking gloss over that shit so like there, right. there's historical grievances that could be leveraged to whip people up into a blood frenzy on both sides, um, and we'll get there. But you know that's part three, fun stuff. <laughs> uh, sounds great. Yeah, it's, it's great. Uh, Sarah, thanks for joining me yet again uh, for the second hour of this lovely series. Um, everybody, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week.